listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. Hello, this is Mark Redfield. Thank you for listening to the program. We're going to take you behind the microphone, as it were, and talk about the making of our audio drama comedy, which is mostly comedy, called Season 13. I've been in the theater, in film, radio, all my life, and uh, am a, a notorious list maker and diary keeper. And uh, I write everything down, and uh, I suppose it's like any business. Um, the different personalities, the people that you work with day in and day out. And in the theater, it's often um, for very short periods of time, just several weeks maybe. And you bond very quickly, and you find out who the heroes are, who the good-hearted people are, who the villains are, who the... Who the uh, the people you wouldn't take home to mother people are. And um, you accumulate stories. And if there's anything that actors and theater people do when they get a little downtime and get to just sit around and and, uh, just chin wag a little bit, it's uh, tell stories. Tell stories about their experiences as actors on the stage behind the scenes, uh, directors, everyone in the business has great stories. And they're often very funny with a serious vein of pain. Uh, Very comedy tragedy. Season 13 began many, many years ago for me as a writer. I had an elaborate outline for a movie that I wanted to make. And uh, the outline, the movie was then called, on paper anyway, it was called Ghost Light. Now, a ghost light in the theater is basically a work light that's kept on stage all night. And it's uh, a night light. It's basically there to keep people from stumbling around in the dark should they come into the theater. But one of the wonderful things about theaters and theater people, uh, well, again, like anybody in any line of work, Uh, is uh, the legends of theater ghosts. And a lot of theaters that I worked in, um, whether they were built as such, auditoriums and theaters, this includes my undergraduate, uh, where I went to college, the main stage theater, or whether it's an old storefront or something that's been converted into a theater that it really didn't matter how old the theater was, how long it had been in existence, but... Most, if not all of them, had a good ghost story, and indeed a theater ghost. And um, so this outline for this movie, Ghost Light, it was probably drawn from the things that I had uh, grew up with, nothing really telling about that. Uh, I think it was about an actor, mostly, and uh, the theater's ghost, Um, and that kind of device, a uh, character that our, uh, a main character that can, is the only one who can see and speak to the, the entity, in this case a ghost, the theater's ghost, well, you know, that's Bewitched, or that's uh, My Favorite Martian, and a bunch of other, <laughs> My Mother the Car, I mean, it's a bunch of comedies, um, and um, into that outline went a lot of stories that I had uh, 
things that I had experienced as an actor or a director in the theater and in film. And uh, one day, um, years later, I've never developed it into a full screenplay, but it was always sort of on a back burner and always sort of on my mind. And whenever something would happen, I would jot some notes down and, and sometimes it would go into the outline. Oh, it would be great for this character. Oh, it could be part of this plot line and this, this thread here. And, uh, you know, I, I to this day keep coming up with and experiencing wacky stories about being in show business. So one day, many, many years later, um, as a professional actor, I become involved with union politics. Uh, this is before the merger of SAG-AFTRA, the Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA. And um, among the people that I meet around the country who are the good guys on the good side uh, trying to... Um, make the union work for the good of all. And um, I guess unionism is something that's been in my blood. My, my mother's father, my grandfather, was a union man. When he was in Yugoslavia, he had a thriving textile business. And when he came to the States in the late 50s, he became a baker. And uh, I actually have his little mini dues book uh, when he joined the union, the Baker and Confectioners Union. Uh, I believe he was member 62. Uh, so anyway, all of that aside, uh, I'm networking with a number of incredible people all over the country. Um, this was when uh, Ken Howard was, uh, before uh, Ken Howard, uh, the late Ken Howard was president, and it was pre-merger of the two unions. And one of the people that I met and became friends with was Rick Deskin. Rick plays the voice as the lead in season 13, and he was running a theater called the... It was called Eclectic Theater in Seattle. And uh, we got to know each other over a period of time, and um, cut to one day, we're talking about projects that uh, we'd like to do, or that, uh, you know, all actors were always looking for work. And... One of the things that was happening at the time was uh, a lot of people were beginning to take uh, web series very seriously. And it seemed like an appealing thing. Some actors, I believe Ileana Douglas, uh, got IKEA sponsorship to do a web series. And uh, so this could be a viable uh, storytelling form and something that could help supplement the work and pay some bills doing a web series. So one day on the phone, uh, Rick and I were batting ideas around and I just happened to remember I had this thing called Ghost Light. You know, y y Rick, you have a theater. Um, yes, it's a very tiny theater. I think uh, it sat less than uh, 100 seats. It was a tiny little black box theater in Seattle. And... Um, well, I've got this idea about a haunted theater and a, and a ghost and a, and a guy who, uh, you know, they, they have these wacky theater adventures with all of the wacky people that, uh, that are in the theater that are recognizable. And you probably recognize a lot of these types, too. And so we started talking about that. And the next thing you know, uh, I've had fallen in love 
before, way before that, with Seattle itself. Seattle is a. I, I guess I need to be near uh, having been a, from Baltimore. Um, like waterfront towns, there's just something uh, about them, whether it's the Atlantic and the beauty that is Seattle. Anyway, having been there and uh, started to get the lay of the land of the art scene, art galleries, um, and the theaters in Seattle and thinking about uh, maybe producing something there, you know, I popped the question to Rick and Rick Deskin was enthusiastic about the possibility of Ghostlight being this web series, but somewhere along the line, it was a lot of material. And um, I had uh, seen, Rick had, uh, on one of my visits to Seattle, had taken me around town and, uh, you know, I saw his theater. And I said, you know, what if this was a little bit cheaper to do? What if we couldn't get the financing to do a web series? But what if we did it as an audio series? And uh, by that time, I had changed the title from Ghost Light to Season 13. And uh, on paper, started uh, outlining a script for a seven-episode arc. Roughly seven half hours uh, to tell the story of what happens to our main character, who became a stage manager named Nick Papadakis, and um, the ghost became a famous Hollywood star called Jack Fairbanks. Um, before I go any further with the development of the script, here's a preview uh, of, uh, just to give you a taste of um, some of the characters and the premise of season 13. Redfield Arts Audio presents Season 13, starring Rick Deskin, Mark Redfield, Brink Stevens, and Andy Schrem. It's opening night of the Majestic Theater's 13th season of their annual big-ticket item, A Seattle Christmas Carol. And I, stage manager Nick Papadakis, call me Pop, they all do, has locked himself all alone inside the tech booth, dressed as Ebenezer Scrooge, but I'm getting way ahead of my story. Hi, I'm here to see Jane Bigelow, please. I bet you would. And what makes you so special? I'm sorry? Of course you are. Who are you? Oh, I'm sorry. We know that. I'm sorry. I'm Nick Papadakis. I'm the new associate stage manager. Oh, you're the lucky lottery winner. I'll buzz her down. Take a seat. I was about to sit when through the stairwell doors popped. Hi, I'm Jane Bigelow, ASM for the Majestic. You must be none other than Nick Papa... Pa- Papadakis. Papa, Nick. Just call me Nick. Maybe I'll just call you Pop. Come on, I'll give you the tour and we'll be in time to hear the director's pep talk before the rehearsal this afternoon. The first person she took me to see was the head stage manager, Amanda. Everybody calls her Commander Reese. My fault. I started it. But don't ever call her that to her face. She'll deck you. Amanda, this is our new associate, Nick Papa's... Nick Papadakis. Nice to meet you. I look forward to working with you. Nice meeting you, Papadakis. Pop. Just call him Pop. Everybody does. Nice meeting you, Nick. Nice meeting you. Is she okay? Eh, It's been a little rough around here lately for everybody. It's been brutal. 
And then all the weirdness, all the little freak accidents and things that have been happening, nerves are a little frayed. Maybe it's the handiwork of Jack Fairbank. Pop, don't ever mention the theater ghost again. That's taboo. Never, ever, never. You are fearless leader. One of the finest directors I've worked with and one of the finest writers to ever put words in my mouth. Thank you, Chip Bateman, an actor's actor. Yours is the finest Scrooge we've ever seen in the local scene. High praise coming from you, sir. He doesn't make these speeches before every rehearsal, does he? Shh. Yes. And I just want to tell you all, my heart is bursting with pride at what you've done. Oh no, who has done this? Villainy. That is evil in this place. Elska, what happened? You see a ghost? Look on this with your own eyes, Tank. I'm looking. What am I seeing? Nothing. You see nothing. All my beautiful clothes for Christmas Carol gone. Jacques Fairbanks. You go too far this time. Mortachi tua. I don't know. I think our ghosts have been messing around a bit. But I'm hearing rumors. Rumors? That maybe somebody else is behind all this. Somebody who wants to maybe close the theater and sell the building. I hear those rumors too. Jerry Jerome, bastardo. That's what I hear. Jack? No, Nick. Jack. Don't you know any better than to sneak up on a ghost? Wait, you can see me? Hear me? Like Hamlet's old man. I hate playing Cratchit. We should switch roles one year, like Olivier and Gilgood did at the Old Vic. Switch playing Scrooge and Cratchit nightly? Yes! You're mad as a hatter. You'd never remember all the lines at your age anyway. Chip has a good point, Herb. Scrooge has lines? (laughs) I'd never known it, the way you mumble and stumble around on stage. You! Son of a bitch! Stand by. Come on, Hercules. I only weigh 49 pounds. Stop squirming. I swear, I'm going to drop you on your head. You drop me, you weenus. I'm going to tell Jane that you touched me. Why, you? (laughs) Gotten away with it, too. If it wasn't for you meddling spooks. Now give me my scrapbook. Oh, that feeling. To recapture that feeling again. What a glorious night. You were marvelous, Jack. That's what it's all about. That's life in the theater. One of the reasons that the main character of season 13 Nick Papadakis became a stage manager was that it seemed to me that um, if you've had any experience working in the theater, you know that a good stage manager, and there is a reason that this cliche is true, a good stage manager is worth their weight in gold. The ability to basically run the show, be the conduit from administration to what happens on the stage, uh, the organizational skills, the level-headedness, the calm uh, that good stage managers, the firm grip. um, And it just seemed to me that if season 13 was a kind of nightmare, 
And here's a little side note. It also struck me as I was developing the seven-episode arc of season 13 that it was truly a sort of, it was sort of the embodiment of an actor's nightmare. An actor's nightmare. Actor nightmares are usually sweat-inducing nightmares that actors have where the underlying anxiety which creates the nightmare is the fact that they are unprepared and the world around them and the ground underneath them continually shifts. And what they all have in common, what a lot of actor nightmares and actors will say, is that it, it ends up the, the punchline, the underlying dread in an actor's nightmare is unpreparedness and the fact that very strange things that they have no control over happen to them. Um, but anyway, I digress. Oh, and so it struck me that one of my favorite television comedies uh, from the Golden Age is Green Acres. Um, I think I fell in love with Green Acres after realizing or seeing that Green Acres needs to be seen as Douglas's nightmare. He is the center of this incredibly nightmarish, absurdist universe. And he tries to navigate the quicksand and shifting of, of these... Anyway, I knew that a stage manager would be that, hopefully, eye of the storm calm center to throw into the mix of a constantly shifting crazy uh, uh, situation. So we decide to uh, try uh, maybe developing season 13, and uh, so I re-outlined this seven-episode arc, and one day uh, we decide that maybe it would be a great idea to um, do a staged reading of the first script in Seattle at Rick Deskin's Theater, at Rick's Theater, uh, eclectic theater and so I gave uh, uh, Rick a basic outline of that first episode and um, the cast breakdown the characters that were in it and I said uh, I'll play Jack Fairbanks and you play the stage manager who became in the script Nick Papadakis and uh, Nick uh, takes this new job uh, at this uh, notoriously haunted Seattle theater and it's haunted by Jack Fairbanks. And we'll get into this in a second, but Jack Fairbanks in a lot of ways is based on John Barrymore and to a degree, John Carradine, who late in his life, after a career of doing Hollywood films from Grapes of Wrath through some of the universal horror films, um, toured Shakespeare in his uh, later years. And uh, so we would do the, the, the first script in the seven series, uh, staged reading, and Rick, would you please cast with Seattle actors? Here's the breakdown, I trust you. Just put the actors together and um, I'll show up. We'll have a, a quick re uh, rehearsal in the afternoon and with an invited free audience, we'll, we'll do this very loosely staged reading of, of the thing. Uh, before I go any further, um, here's Rick Deskin with his recollection 
This is Rick Deskin, and I play the role of Nick Papadakis in Season 13 of Seattle Christmas Carol. Uh, this project started being developed back in 2015. Uh, actually, uh, no, I take that back. Mark Redfield and I started talking about this project probably pre-merger, pre-2012. Uh, but we were just corresponding about possibilities, uh, TV shows, audio, uh, radio shows, podcast. Um, and one thing led to another. Uh, and Mark came out for a visit in 2015. He saw my theater, uh, which was Eclectic Theater at the time. And um, uh, we did a little bit of a, of a tour around Seattle and uh, it kind of uh, gave him some some motivation to uh, write up a script so uh, he wrote up a script and then in 2016 he came out uh, back to Seattle and just so you know Mark is from Baltimore uh, if in, ca in case anyone else doesn't know that and uh, he well he wrote the script and we cast it with an all Seattle cast and um, we went up as a staged reading in front of an uh, uh, audience uh, at my theater, at Eclectic Theater. And, uh, and it, it was an interesting story uh, about Haunted Theater. And uh, Mark plays a, a wonderful character. And, uh, and I got to play the lead role of uh, a stage manager who comes out to this theater in Seattle to... Uh, begin working on uh, their season 13 Christmas Carol. So uh, one thing led to another. The, the reading was uh, uh, a good indicator of what worked and what didn't work. And then uh, Mark took it and rewrote it and came back out in 2017. And we uh, then recorded it at a studio out in West Seattle and um, uh, we had uh, an all-star all cast, people from Baltimore, people from Seattle, people from L.A. Um, uh, one of our L.A. people was Brink Stevens, who, uh, for horror fans, you know who she is. Um, I've seen her in various horror movies over the years, and uh, so I was also a, a big fan and happy to work with her and happy to finally work on something with Mark. Mark uh, took the producing reins of the series and um, and we re proceeded to record it in July, well, July and August of 2017. So um, it, was, uh, it was an interesting time. And, um, and then, you know, once we recorded the bulk of it, uh, or at least the, the bulk of the Seattle talent, he then went and recorded with the Baltimore cast. And I, from what I understand, I know that Mark had some health problems which caused a delay in uh, finishing the final project. And uh, we didn't release it until uh, right before Christmas of last year, in 2020. Um, and it was really interesting to hear it after having recorded it in 2017 because half of the stuff I did not remember 
Uh, I mean, I, I, I remembered some of the dialogue and, um, you know, some of the situations, but it was very interesting where Mark took it and, um, notably in, 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 uh, episode two, we ended up doing a two episode podcast of it, um, it, where, where the, uh, story ends. Um, there was concern that, uh, it really wasn't like Seattle theater, but that's okay. We, uh, got past that and, um, and, I think it's a, a wonderful story, uh, and uh, it's funny. And I, uh, at one point, um, have been told that I sound like the Mandalorian uh, when speaking over the the intercom segment of the show. So that was a another huge compliment for myself. And um, you know, uh, we we did it, and uh, uh, we've got some wonderful performances from uh, other actors including Steve Tracy and my wife Kim Deskin um, and uh, you know everyone that was involved it was uh, I, I was uh, it was an honor for me to be involved I was happy that we did it as a sag after project that's the only way I could have done it and um, uh, yeah it, it, it's here for you to enjoy um, as your listening pleasure. So, uh, yeah, enjoy it, and um, I will be curious to know how the world takes it uh, uh, from Audible. All right, thanks. Rick Deskin signing out. Rick has a better memory for dates than I do, Um, but um, the day of the reading of uh, what was to be episode one of season 13... Um, I hadn't written the script yet. And uh, on the plane from Baltimore to Seattle, to um, Seattle, Washington, I took my notebook, my loose-leaf notebook that had all of my material for Ghost Light and Season 13, and my outline and my character breakdown. And on the plane, I outlined in great detail and jotted down dialogue for Episode 1 sort of um, expositional and introducing the characters and getting everything wound up and tried to, and came up with a kind of cliffhanger to get into episode two. The day of the, the morning of the read-through, I got up at 5 a.m. I was staying in a lovely, uh, beautiful house, a bed and breakfast um, in uh, the Capitol Hill area. Um, and the name escapes me. I hope during the pandemic, they, they, they were talking about closing a year or two ago. Um, they just wanted to retire. Um, but uh, I got up at 5 a.m., sat down, and I wrote episode one. And I sent the script off to Rick uh, via email around 11 a.m., and uh, my great friend, Tammy Hamalian, uh, who was uh, helping me in all regards with uh, Seattle and uh, with the reading, uh, we went off and we made uh, copies of the script for the actors to read. We got to Eclectic Theater in the afternoon, gave the scripts out, met the wonderful actors that Rick uh, Deskin had put together. And um, we did a rehearsal. Uh, there was 
almost no changes to the script. I, I may have caught one or two things that I wanted to clarify. And um, we took a break. Uh, we got some food catered. Uh, and then that evening, at either 7.30 or 8 p.m. at Eclectic Theater, uh, a nice audience arrived to listen to a free reading of this uh, potential web series, but by then also I was seriously thinking that it was an audio series, and um, did the reading. The actors that Rick had put together were marvelous. Um, he got the characters and cast them perfectly for the reading, and many of the actors were able to then do the recording when we did do the audio drama version of season 13. Some, by the time we did schedule recordings, uh, were not available. And I had to recast. And I did recast with uh, Baltimore actors that I knew. But uh, I do remember after the reading, we had a Q&A, a question and answer thing. Just to get feedback, just to get uh, if there were any questions, if there was anything unclear, uh, it's always good to get uh, when when you do a reading like that to get feedback from an audience. And I remember a lot of encouragement and um, uh, checking that things were basically working okay. I remember one audience member didn't like the piece at all, and uh, she seemed to be the one who uh, talked the most. But uh, neither here nor there. Um, you take it on the chin, you, you know, this is, this is now writing with the door open. You, you write with the door closed, actors bring their interpretation to these characters and bring them to life, and uh, the ones that did stay with us from the reading into the final project include the marvelous uh, Steve Tracy, who plays Chip Bateman, the actor who's very, very full of himself, um... Naomi Glick, uh, a wonderful actor. I like Naomi a great deal. She plays Amanda Reese, uh, the stage manager who has the nervous breakdown. Uh, in the final piece, Amanda, is a very tiny role. Um, well, I'll get to what changed as the piece developed after that. And um, so I took the feedback, and we then went into a period where I wrote the rest of the series, seven episodes. We then set up uh, recording dates, and uh, thanks again to Tammy, um, Judd Hamilton, musician, uh, was able to network, and uh, he introduced me to a, another musician and recording engineer, Steve Peterson. And um, we recorded all of the Seattle actors. This was months later uh, as... Uh, Rick remembers it was the summer, I believe, uh, through July and August over several sessions, we brought uh, the Seattle actors in that were cast, um, which included Steve, Tracy, uh, Naomi, and um, the uh, wonderful character, the, 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 the three actors uh, that are uh, in... Oh. And there was a reason to pick A Christmas Carol as the play that they were doing. There were a number of plays that I considered would be the production that they're doing at the Majestic Theater, but there's a, I've, I've done Christmas Carol several times and played Scrooge and in my theatrical career, 
And they tend to be large cast shows filled with children, um, whether it's community theater or professional theater, the larger the production is, the more guarantee you have of the kids' parents and uh, relatives buying tickets. And um, if anything generates some box office for either a regional theater uh, and uh, there's also the, 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 the idea that there is a repertory company of actors. The idea that um, this fictional theater, the Majestic Theater in Seattle, was a repertory theater, um, ha in other words, it had a company of actors, that's something that professional theaters really can't afford in the United States to do anymore. They just don't have the funding, and so actors are jobbed in. But I've had some experience with that. I was lucky enough uh, in Baltimore Center Stage when I was out of college to be part of that arena down in D.C. He had a repertory company, I believe, up until the early 1980s, mid-80s, late 80s, until they, they had to, they couldn't afford that anymore. And uh, Stephanie Graham was another actor from the original reading of season 13 who ended up playing Mary Rosemary Margaret Stubb. And so um, Chip Bateman, Herb Goldschmidt, played by Mike Moran, the Baltimore actor, and Stephanie um, uh, were the living actors in A Christmas Carol. And uh, so A Christmas Carol became the production that they were doing. And um, I thought we could have some fun with that. In the... Um, time that we recorded the Seattle actors with Steve Peterson and uh, Brink Stevens, uh, who I had wanted to work with for a very long time. Uh, I had talked to her about some film ideas I had had over the years um, and, and uh, in wanting to do audio dramas, uh, wanted to bring Brink into things and uh, had the role of Victoria Fairbanks for her. She came to Seattle, uh, and uh, we recorded with her. And then I came back to Baltimore with all of the recordings. The actors were all recorded separately. Um, they had to rely on their instincts and my direction because um, they didn't perform together. Um, and a, an example of where this worked so beautifully in post-production was the relationship and the actors, uh, Rick Deskin, who of course plays Nick, and uh, his girlfriend, uh, the stage manager, Jane Bigelow, voiced by Andy Schrem. I was about to sit when through the stairwell doors popped. Hi, I'm Jane Bigelow, ASM for the Majestic. You must be none other than Nick Papa, pa Papadakis. Papa, Nick. Just call me Nick. Maybe I'll just call you Pop. Because we stage managers take care of everybody, I give everybody nicknames Andy here. Uh, was on, uh, I think she was living in New Jersey, and so she came down to Baltimore. And uh, she was recorded completely separately. Um, and uh, they had to rely on my direction of timing and tone and remembering where the character was in any given scene. And they were all, every one of these actors, incredibly brilliant. And um, they cut together magically. Uh, it's, the, it's the magic of editing in film and certainly in audio drama that uh, seamlessly 
uh, I think it all works, and the actors, uh, the listener, uh, does truly believe that they're there in the same room. Uh, let me tell you about some of the actors uh, in a moment. Um, and so, uh, just to wrap up this aspect of it, um, as Rick pointed out, um, before, if my memory serves, before we recorded any of season 13, I had had my first heart attack, which changed my life a great deal, um, made me um, quit smoking, made me eat better, uh, healthier food, uh, cut out the sugar and the white bread and the free radicals. Um, and uh, sometime after we had begun the project and been recording, I had another heart attack, which slowed a lot of things down and derailed some things, and more time went by. The East Coast actors were then cast and recorded, and there were some that I, I couldn't uh, get, but uh, I am more than thrilled with the company of actors that were assembled for season 13. Uh, in addition to the Seattle players, some of whom I've mentioned and you, you heard in the clip earlier, uh, Jane Bigelow is played by Andy Schrem. I had known Andy for a number of years, uh, had directed her in a couple of plays, and um, her, the, the, the marvelous thing, or the trick, I think, the, what I try to do with these audio dramas is try to find very good actors with very distinctive voices that together they make kind of music together. And Rick really understood Nick Papadakis, that his journey through this nightmare that he had to be relatively calm, the voice of reason, and a certain tone, uh, and let all of the other crazies sort of bounce off of him. And Andy's natural speaking voice just has this wonderful quality to it, and um, I think that they play wonderfully together. Some other Baltimore actors that I had worked with before, the character of Miss Aggie is... <laughs> <laughs> and all of these characters in season 13, um, they're not recreations of any one individual or personality that I knew. All of the stories are sort of based on things that happened to me, but the characters are amalgams. They're sort of mashups of types and people that I knew. And um, Miss Aggie... Uh, is played by Lois Bailey DeVees, and uh, again, a marvelous, very distinctive voice. The first gauntlet a person has to run when they visit Seattle's Majestic Theater is their receptionist, Miss Aggie. Aggie, they say, was there the night of the famous fire. Nobody knows how old she is. They just know she's been there forever and knows everything about everything in that theater. Hi. I'm here to see Jane Bigelow, please. I bet you would. And what makes you so special? I'm sorry? Of course you are. Who are you? Oh, I'm sorry. We know that. I'm sorry. I'm Nick Papadakis. I'm the new associate stage manager. Oh, you're the lucky lottery winner. I'll buzz her down. 
take us. Uh, Stan Flanagan is voiced by Tommy Rinaldi, B. Thomas Rinaldi. Uh, the, he's the supercilious director uh, who wrote and directs the uh, adaptation of Christmas Carol they do in the show. Well, here we are again. Once again, we are poised to present Seattle with our holiday gift to them. It's becoming something of a proud tradition. And I want to thank each and every one of you for your hard work and dedication to bringing my vision to life yet again. Thank you. To our fearless leader, one of the finest directors I've worked with, and one of the finest writers to ever put words in my mouth. Thank you, Chip Bateman, an actor's actor. Uh, Matthew Bowerman, who I had worked with um, on a couple of films, and I think uh, Matthew had invited me to act in a one-act play that he had written and we did in New York years ago. Hey, Drop, Tiny Tim! I was there. We were all there. It wasn't pretty. On purpose? The gator dropped the kid on purpose? Well, I don't know if it was on purpose exactly. Uh, I'm getting another call. Shit, fire it, save the matches! It's the kid's mother! What the hell am I gonna tell her? You can tell her the truth. Hello? Hello, Jerry. And uh, was very happy to be able to bring... um, uh, Matthew Bowerman, uh, uh, Mike Moran as Herb Goldschmidt, who is the hapless individual who hates playing uh, Bob Cratchit and, and gets punched, and then he has a broken jaw and he can't really talk through the the rest of season thirteen. Um, of course, I'm playing Jack Fairbanks, and uh, in the scripts in the seven episode arc. When eventually it was time to let's finish season 13, let's get this off the plate and out into the world, it then occurred to me to condense it into a two-hour, well, under two-hour, two-act structure. And unfortunately, that meant that a lot of the story, some of the characters had to be cut. And there... They're not going to be used uh, as recorded for sequels to season 13. Um, season 13, Something Wicked This Way Comes, will uh, find uh, the uh, people at the Majestic Theater and Jack Fairbanks and company uh, back at it trying to do a production of Macbeth, the Scottish tragedy. But, but I'm getting way ahead of myself. But all kinds of story threads got cut out. Um, there was... Um, Nick Papadakis' ex-wife uh, arrives at the theater. There were a series. There's a whole uh, subplot of these um, professional ghostbusters, these ghost chasers that made themselves famous on the internet and on uh, television, who come to uh, er- eradicate the majestic theater of ghosts. And unfortunately, that was all cut in in taking seven half hours and making it a two-act uh, audio play under two hours. And so unfortunately, there are actors that I thank very much who came in. And uh, these are storylines and plot elements that we'll play with, I'll play with in the future, uh, and already have the scripts for that and uh, uh, something else about Jack Fairbanks. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself. One of my favorite actors that I have ever worked with is, was a fellow named Brian Chatelet. 
And um, if you've listened to season 13, uh, you'll see, you'll hear that we dedicated the project to Brian. I, Brian came, when I was an undergraduate in theater school, I went to Towson University to their theater department. And Brian came two or three years after me. And um, Brian was a brilliant actor. As we got to know each other, pretty much after school, really, in the world, um, I had a theater company called New Century Theater. For a few years, we produced um, 10 plays. And uh, Brian was my favorite actor to work with. He was in nine of 10 of the plays. Um, he was a large man, very funny actor, very good dramatic actor. And Brian one day came to me and he wanted to do a play called um, The Transfiguration of Ben O'Blimpy. It was a passion project of his, for his one act. And so uh, we paired it with another and Brian got hired to direct uh, Christmas Carol. And he came to me and he said, I, I won't do this if, unless you play Scrooge. And so that began this co theater collaboration back in the 1990s. And... Um, so we'd worked together for a number of years and Brian retired. Brian became very ill, uh, complications. He, he was diabetic, uh, heart trouble, uh, a lot of the complications due, due to uh, being diabetic. And um, so I begged him to come out and you should do some of the audio stuff with us, Brian. Would love to have you. And uh, we would go out to dinner. I would take him out to dinner. Or we would go to see a play. And uh, it was uh, a rough, rough last year. Uh, he went through a period of blindness. And uh, Brian voices Otto, Otto Blump, uh, one of the ghosts in Jack Fairbanks' company in season 13. And he came in and uh, recorded his part and as we were in post-production with the final version that exists of season 13, Brian passed away. I miss him incredibly. Um, I cherish all of the theater that we uh, did together. Um, he was my Burns in uh, the front page that I directed years ago. And he was absolutely marvelous as he was in everything. Otto was a small role. I wish there was more uh, that we had that he did. And I, I do regret that there were other projects I wanted to record that um, we just couldn't. Um, but I'm so glad that he's a part of this. And in some weird, weird way, it is a story about the theater. It is a story, season 13 is a story about the theater, about the compulsion of making theater, of creating. And uh, for that, I'm so happy. Brian, if you're listening to this, that you're with us and you're in that show. Victoria? Victoria, are you here? Yes, Otto, I'm here. I thought so. You've been so very kind for so long, Otto, and still are. Oh, it's been my pleasure. The finest prompt man, right-hand man, prop man. Thank you. You're still angry with Jack, aren't you? After all the time that we've been here. I can't define it anymore, Otto. And you know it's worse for me when the anniversary of the fire rolls around on the calendar. I know. I loved Jack so deeply, 
so madly for so many years. I turned a blind eye to his philandering, to the drinking. I thought it was the way great artists released their demons when the art couldn't. I didn't know a damn thing. Victoria, what if I could prove to you that Jack wasn't responsible for that fire? What if you knew for certain that, in fact, he tried to stop it and get us out of this building that night? Hi, this is Brink Stevens. In season 13, I play Victoria Fairbanks, one of the ghosts who haunts the Majestic Theater. When she was alive, she was a fabulous stage actress married to the dashing Jack Fairbanks, whom she blames for setting the fire that trapped and killed them. In this story, there's no such thing as tell death do us part. They're still very much together in the afterlife and still at odds with each other. I loved playing Victoria. In the 200 plus movies that I've acted in so far, I've never had a film role that was this cool and complex and with such great dialogue. Mark Redfield did a wonderful job writing the script. It's always interesting, filled with colorful characters and snappy dialogue. I was also so impressed with Jennifer Rouse's editing. I've done a lot of audio work myself, recording, editing, and mastering, and my hat's off to her for doing such a fantastic job. I really enjoyed all the music, sound effects, and just the way she created such a multi-layered soundscape. Part of my dialogue I recorded alone in my home studio, which I built about 10 years ago in order to narrate audiobooks. I also enjoyed several trips to Seattle, Washington, where many of us worked together at a local sound studio. Mark was there to guide us as our director, which was really nice to have a live person in the same room giving you great suggestions. Last Christmas, I shared season 13 with some of my family and friends. Many of them had never really experienced radio plays like this, and they were a little unsure at first, but once they started listening, they were hooked. I'm very proud of this series and grateful to be a part of it. Olivia McMahon um, plays Sally, uh, a young, a child actor uh, brought in to replace uh, Tiny Tim in season 13. And um, I love uh, finding new actors in my orbit. Um, and uh, she. Um, I had put out a casting call to find uh, uh, an actor that could read Dorothy uh, for an audiobook of uh, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz uh, that I've recorded. And um, Olivia's voice was perfect. And so knowing that uh, uh, Olivia existed, when it came time to uh, record Sally, I asked her to... Uh, and um, she was marvelous. She, um, a combination of experience and, and natural ability, um, took direction and, and very simple direction just to shape the tone of this nasty, nasty child in the story. Stop squirming while you're up on my shoulder, kid. Stand by. Come on, Hercules. I only weigh 49 pounds. Stop Squirming! I swear, I'm gonna drop you on your head if you don't stop wiggling around. You drop me, you weenus. I'm gonna tell Jane that you touched me. Why, you! <laughs> <laughs> and she was very, very funny and very wonderful. 
And uh, I'm so, so happy that Olivia is in the cast and I hope to do some more things with her in the future. Um, again, I, I sing the praises of this cast of actors. Um, half of them I had been working with for the first time, and that included Rick Deskin, uh, who I look forward to working with again. And the other half I had uh, the familiarity and the comfortability of having worked with before. And that's marvelous as a director. I think that when you see directors working with the same actors over and over again, it's because they know the actors. They know the actors' limitations. They know where the actors can stretch to bring something new. Um, and I think that the important thing to do uh, as a director is cast a group of actors that can get along with each other and enjoy each other's company because... Why make the work any more difficult than that? The music for season 13, of course, is incredibly important, like it is with all audio drama. It's 50%. It really creates the world. And uh, in this nightmare that Nick Papadakis has, uh, I wanted to move very rapidly uh, between worlds. And one of the first things that I thought was to have a song. I wanted to have a song that sort of summed up the madness or the compulsion that actors and theater makers have for making theater. And so I wanted someone to do a, a song called Compulsion. Maybe it had a kind of grungy Seattle sound. It had a, maybe a kind of a rock sound. Um, I wanted something, and um, year, many years ago I produced a film called Cold Harbor, uh, written and directed by a very good friend, Tom Brandow. And Tom's best friend is a musician named Mike Lane, and I knew Mike uh, from college. We all sort of went to Towson University about the same time. And over a period of, and, and when we'd made Cold Harbor, um, for the title sequence song, um, well, not to digress too far, but Tom wanted very much the opening title track to be the Rolling Stones' Paint It Black. Well, that would have been 10 times the budget for the entire film, so that didn't happen. Um, and uh, Mike Lane, as the story goes, Tom was looking through some old demo cassettes of Mike's and he came across a song which he shared with me and we thought that would be perfect. And so Mike remade the song. So Mike had made the opening title song for Cold Harbor. And I thought of Mike and I reached out to him and I said, look, I've got this song idea. Uh, I don't have an idea for lyrics or anything. I just know it's called Compulsion and it's about compulsion. It's about the need to create. And Mike went off and he made this delightful song which you have heard throughout this podcast and you hear throughout season 13. Thank you, Mike Lane. I'm really happy uh, with the song, with the piece. It's marvelous. Music really is 50% of creating the tone, the world, the atmosphere. And my longtime collaborator, uh, Jennifer Rouse, uh, created uh, the score and the sound design for season 13. 
and uh, it's marvelous. Um, we work together daily with the audio dramas and the audio books. Uh, these days, we're working daily remotely. Uh, thank God for the technology to be able to do that. And um, Jennifer is also an actor. Uh, our uh, professional relationship goes back uh, a number of years, working on uh, films and music, and now the audio work that we're doing. And um, she plays a couple of characters in um, season 13. And uh, I am really, really thrilled by the work that she turned in. Um, she is the voice of Nick's mom. Hi, Ma. Hi, Nikki. You get to see Adol, okay? You didn't call, and I watched the clock and count three hours. Nick's mom, if you've listened to the show, is a presence. And uh, she plays a costumer. Elska. I am Elska. Simply Elska. Sign on door at theater, say costume department. Costume. Bah. I design and make clothes for actors. Beautiful clothes. And when you I might uh, hear um, uh, Jennifer's voice uh, in a couple of other parts here and there. Um, I play a couple of roles too. I had to uh, I had an actor fall through on a recording, and I ended up playing the technical director Tank. And uh, Tank and Elska have a, a longish scene together, I believe, at the beginning of Act Two. But um, thank you, Jennifer, for yet again a masterful job of uh, tying this together and taking the enormity of seven half hours and uh, sometimes challenging my uh, choices in what to cut, what to leave, and how to make it work because some restructuring happens when you are eliminating complete characters and scenes um, to particularly make uh, the second act work. And um, so finally, I'd also like to give a shout out to uh, uh, filmmaker Joshua Kennedy, who uh, plays Roland, one of the other ghosts. And um, yes, when we first meet Jack Fairbanks, he introduces his entire company of ghosts, his wife, Victoria, played by Brink Stevens, uh, Otto, uh, voiced by the late Brian Chetelet, uh, Roland, voiced by Joshua Kennedy, and uh, Myrna, who is, well, that's another voice that, uh, that Jennifer did, and a couple of other ghosts that are named and uh, say hello, but because they were cut out of subplots, we never meet them again. We never hear from them again. And um, they'll all come back in, uh, in subsequent adventures at the Majestic Theater. This is the voice of Doom, Nicholas Papadakis. Wait a minute. I know that voice. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I've already told you. It's the voice of Adu. It, 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 it can't be. I'd say in the flesh, but then I'd be lying. Jack Fairbanks? Here in spirit. It's true. Of course it's true. You better believe it, Mac. It's Nick. Listen, Mac, I can't stay clammed up anymore. Been gnawing at my insides. 
Like first night nerves. Nothing worse than that feeling. Why have you been sabotaging this production? Me? Sabotage? Time to set things straight, methinks, for the lad. What say all of you? Who are you talking to? Well, never mind that. Answer my question. Never mind that. Why are you sabotaging this play? Never mind that. Why are you doing this? Okay, you're right. Enough is too much. I'll level with him. If he believes. You mean believes in you. Who are you talking to? My company. They're all here with me. I'm not alone, you know. Your company is here too? Why can't I see them? Because they don't want to be seen. Odd behavior for actors, even if we are ghosts. Victoria, darling, say hello to Nick. Hello, Nicholas. Roland, say hi to <laughs> Nick Papadakis, if you can believe it. <laughs> Mona, dear, you're not sure. Hiya, Nicky. He's cute. There's my man Friday. Otto. Nice to meet you, Mr. Papa. Hope I'll, uh... Nice to meet you, Nick. Ralph, Bert, and George. How come I can see you, but not the others? Because I want you to, you simple-headed gherkin. This nonsense has been going on for far too long. So you were not behind all of this bad luck and all of these horrible events? No, I'm telling you. Somebody in your company, then? No. Angels. Every mother's son and daughter of them, including the wife. Well, thank you for listening to the podcast and uh, me mostly babbling about the making of uh, season 13. Uh, the theater has been a very, very important part of my life. I miss it. I do, I have to admit. Um, yes, I'll make some more films, and I'm really loving making audiobooks and audio drama, but I do miss live theater. Um, the pandemic isn't helping. Uh, there was a play reading of a new piece that I wrote, uh, we did a reading of it before the pandemic, and I'll probably turn it into an audio drama. It's about the rise of Nazism, fascism, called Rabid Dreams of the Master Race, but uh, I think it'll make a good audio drama comedy. But um, I miss live theater, and season 13 for me, and uh, the sequel that I've written, season 13, Something Wicked This Way Comes, is about the compulsion to tell stories in the theater and that moment of life that is only found in the theater that moment between the actors and the audience that is over as quickly as it happens and becomes a memory it isn't television video recorded theater it isn't, because uh, then otherwise it's television, or it's a podcast, or it's, it's such a singular thing. There are similarities when, when listens to live music goes to a concert. What's happening right then and there between the musician, the music through the air, and into the listener's ears, it's the same thing with the eyes and the ears of the audience. Then and there, what's happening in that empty space, be it a black box, be it a large proscenium, be it an arena. It's a certain kind of magic that only happens then. And um, that's why I want to tell these season 13 stories, and I hope you listen to them, and I hope you enjoy them. Until next time, this is Mark Redfield. Take care.
Program copyright the Mark Redfield Company. Discover our newest audiobook releases at redfieldartsaudio.com.